Welcome, Chag Sameach. It's a blessing to be here with you guys today. That's a, a greeting that we give during holidays. And uh, on this Sunday, we're here at a, a wonderful holiday that we know as Pentecost. For the Jewish community, we call it Shavuot. So before we get any deeper into that, let's spend a little time in prayer. Abba Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. God, we ask, Father, that today be a delight to you. Lord, that you speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls, Father, deepen our faith, strengthen our resolve, and Lord, remind us of how you started all of this that we are now part of, this kingdom, this family that you have brought together under your Son, Jesus. Lord, we praise you and we welcome your presence today in Jesus' name, amen. So, for the Jewish people, this is a time that we call Shavuot, as I stated. And Shavuot is the time that we celebrate the giving of the Torah when, when Moses came down with the law for the people of Israel. It, one of the meanings of the word is oaths. And it's, uh, it really has to do with the time to where God swore an allegiance to the people of Israel and the people of Israel swore an allegiance to Him. When we look in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29, starting in verse Nine. It says, Therefore observe the words of this covenant and follow them, so that you will succeed in everything you do. All of you who are standing today before the Lord your God, your leaders, tribes, elders, officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and the foreigners in your camps who cut your wood and draw your water, so that you may enter into the covenant of the Lord your God which has made with you today, so that you may enter into this oath, and so that He may establish you today as His people, and He may be your God as He promised you, and as He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant and this oath not with only you, not with you only, but also with those who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not here today. And then the people of Israel went on and they, they made the statement in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, where they say, The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, so that we may follow all the words of this law. So it's really this culmination of, of a promise that God had made and an agreement by the people of Israel to continue this thing, to continue to preserve the things of the Lord and do what they were commanded to do. It's often thought of like a wedding, much like a wedding is a covenant between a husband and a wife where they agree to love and to respect one another. This is a very similar type of a thing. It's a covenant between Israel and God where God says that if they are obedient to these things, they will be blessed and prosper in their land. If they're disobedient, they will suffer and even eventually be expelled from their land. And the people of Israel agreed to this, embraced it as their own. It's one of three major Jewish feasts that, are, that, are the, that the people of Israel were instructed to travel to Jerusalem for. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16 and 17, it says, All your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God in the place he chooses at the, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. No one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. 
everyone must appear with a gift suited for his means according to the blessing of the Lord your God has given you. So this festival is the festival of weeks because there's a specific timing for it which we'll look at and it has to do with the timing of the Passover that then ushers this in. But the people of Israel were all instructed to travel to Jerusalem no matter where in the world they lived at this point in time. Today, it is celebrated different than it was historically. Because historically, it was set up more as a harvest festival in the, in the scriptures. In Leviticus chapter 23, Pentecost, the Feast of Week, Shavuot, all of these names referring to the exact same thing, meaning the same thing. In the, starting in verse 9 of Leviticus chapter 23, it starts to instruct us on the timing of this date. You see, previous to verse 9, it's talking about the Feast of Passover, when the people of Israel remembered that God had passed over the houses that had the blood of the Lamb over them. They were passed over of the judgment of the death of the firstborn and thus released from slavery in Egypt into freedom. And then it goes on and mentions another day that comes afterward, starting in verse 10 of Leviticus 23, where it says, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land I am giving you and reap its harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest, and he will wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So what the instruction seems to be is first we have the Passover and then the day after the Sabbath is a new day, an important day for the Jewish people. Historically, it's the exact same date, according to Jewish tradition, that the sea parted and the Jewish people passed from slavery in Egypt into freedom towards eternal life as they were heading into the promised land. And not eternal life, excuse me, but freedom into life in the promised land. And that's actually the same calendar day that Jesus rose from the dead. But it goes and says that that calendar day that we are supposed to count from there in verse 15. It says, you are to count seven complete weeks starting from the day after the Sabbath. The day you brought the sheaf and presented the offering. So when they took the first of the first fruits, the first sheaf that they took of their harvest, and they were to wave that and give it to the Lord at the very beginning of the season, this was done. And so from that day, it says that they are supposed to wait specifically for seven weeks. And it says you are to count 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you present an offering of grain to the Lord. Excuse me, it says, bring two loaves of bread from the settlements as the presentation offering, each of them made from a quarter of the fine flour baked with yeast as first fruits of the Lord. You are to present the bread, seven unblemished male lambs and a year old, and a young bull and two rams. And they will be a burnt offering for the Lord with the grain offerings and the drink offerings and the fire offering, a pleasant aroma to the Lord. The people of Israel, what they were doing at this point is they're bringing the first and what they have that's so valuable, the things that they have started to grow, and they're bringing that before God and they're offering it as a sacrifice really to show that He is first and He is foremost and He is important. According to Jewish tradition, the two loaves of bread uh, are believed to symbolize the two tablets of stone that Moses had brought down. In verse 21 of Leviticus chapter 23, it goes on and states, 
that on the same day you are to make a proclamation and hold a sacred assembly, you are not to do any daily work. This is to be premature statute wherever you live throughout your generations. So it's a day to where the Jewish people were supposed to gather together and it was a Sabbath day, a day that where they did not work but they rested. Because the Sabbath days for the people of Israel were days where we focused on the things of the Lord as opposed to ourselves. Today, when we celebrate this holiday, we get together for services. The holiday actually is... The timing for the Jewish people begins on Thursday and goes through Friday of this week. But I don't believe that they're correct in their understanding. You see, the people of Israel start their timing from a Sabbath day that is Passover, Pesach, and that's where they start their counting. But it seems like in Leviticus chapter 23 that it always occurs on the day after the Saturday Sabbath is what it looks like. So it always occurs on a Sunday, which would make sense for us given that that Sunday after the Passover was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And then the day that we are talking about today, Pentecost, always in the Christian tradition occurs on a Sunday, which seems to be more accurate by the account here in Leviticus. And there's arguments amongst the Jewish people historically as for when that should have occurred. And they had come to the conclusion that they, uh, based on the dates that they do now, so it's on Thursday and Friday this year. But anyway, so what we do is, is we, we worship in services. We sing songs. We sing the Psalms. Uh, we go from Psalm 113 often through 118. One of the things that we do is that we stay up all night and read the Torah. The idea is, is that uh, there, there was an ancient Jewish tradition that says that we fell asleep when Moses was up getting the Torah. So now we are supposed to, we're trying to undo the mistakes of our ancestors and stay up all night and study the things of God, showing how much we are eager to receive it. We dance around with the Torah sometimes during the services. It's, uh, there are a couple Jewish thoughts on how this occurred when the Torah first came down. And these are traditions. These are not anything that we would find written in our scripture. But one of the Jewish traditions is that God took the Mount Sinai and He held it over the people of Israel and He told them, Do you accept my covenant? And of course they said, Yes, we accept it. Out of great fear for this mountain that could have been dropped on them is one of the stories that they say in Jewish tradition. Another one is that they say that, that that the Torah was offered to all of the different nations of the Lord, er, that all the nations all around the world, and, and they all said, no, we don't want that. And then the people of Israel said, yes, we want that. They say the, the Hebrew word, which means we will do and we will listen. Uh, and this this is the the idea or the concept within Judaism that they say uh, gave them the title of chosen people because they're the ones that chose the Torah is their belief. This is again not in scripture but a tradition within Judaism. Often, excuse me, during this feast. Oh yes, one more thing that's uh, that's of relevance. So when there's a teaching and it's a Jewish tradition that when Moses went up to receive the Torah, when he went up to see receive the law of Moses, when he went up on Mount Sinai, what he what the people heard 
from the top of the mountain was being spoken to them in 70 languages. 70 for the people of Israel is understood as the number of the nations. So the, the idea was that they heard it spoken, the Torah, in all of the different languages of the world at the same time. This is a Jewish tradition. One of the things that we do is we read the book of Ruth. Ruth is a harvest festival, and I think it becomes very relevant to the story as we continue through this. You'll see why. We read of the throne vision from Ezekiel, kind of a, a strange vision of, of just a, of these great details of what Ezekiel saw when he was looking up into the heavenly realm. We read the Ten Commandments because it's so essential to what was received when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai. We often decorate our homes with greenery or flowers in our synagogues. And the reason being is because there's an understanding that when the people of Israel uh, were waiting down below and Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, that it blossomed. And this is the Jewish tradition. And so we do that. And, and it's, there's ways that we celebrate this, either from you know picnics or garden parties. Uh, you know, We often eat... Uh, milk-based products and, and sweet things. It's because the idea is that uh, like milk and honey, the Torah is sweet to us. The law is sweet to us. Um, we study and do things and do practices with uh, with different Hebrew letters, different uh, things. You might bake cookies that look like different Hebrew letters. These type of things occur. You know, it's it's understood within Judaism that visiting the sick, giving to the poor, honoring your parents are very important. And they have a teaching that studying the Torah is equal to all of those. So it's really seen as a moral thing, as a righteous thing to do for the Jewish people. They have... Uh, there's an invitation during this time to continue learning and spiritual growth. There's even a tradition within Judaism that King David died on this day. And so we do all of these things in celebration of this, but what the text says is fascinating to us, followers of Jesus, those of us who, who believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, our Lord and our Savior, as we look through the text. And the first thing that I want us to look through is what Moses received when he went up on top of Mount Sinai. One of the things was clearly what we call the Ten Commandments. This is in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of my of slavery. And do not have other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in shape of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sins to the third and fourth generation and to those who hate me, but showing faithful love to thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. This is a very important commandment, especially given what we're going to see what happens when Moses receives this message and comes down. In verse 7, he says, Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord your God will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and to do no work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must do, not do any work. 
you, your sons, your daughters, your male or your female slave, your livestock, or your foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Verse 13, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain sounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. So there's this great sound that the people of Israel hear when Moses is receiving these commands, these, these rules. And then when Moses comes down and he's called to come down by God in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1, it says this, when it says this about when Moses had left them. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who, we will, who will go before us. Isn't that interesting? The very first commandment the people of Israel break as soon as Moses leaves. It's, he's gone just a little too long and then the first thing that they start doing is worshiping another God. And so it goes on and says in verse 3 and 4, So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, excuse me, then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Even though God had done all of these, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God had done all of these things for them, now they had fashioned a golden calf and they said, this is our God. And it goes on in verse 19 and talking about Moses coming down, it says, as he approached the camp and saw the calf in the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hand, smashing them at the base of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made, burned it up, and ground it into powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water in the forces of the, and forced the Israelites to drink the water. So Moses, when he comes down, he has these laws, these commandments in, in stone tablets when he's walking down, and he grabs them and he sees them breaking the law immediately. So almost in a powerful, symbolic manner, he takes the tablets and breaks them, showing them that this very covenant that God had written with his own hand has been broken by what the people of Israel had done. It goes on in verse 26 and says, And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites from those of the tribe of Levi gathered around him. And he told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every man fasten his sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp at the entrance to entrance, and each of you kill his brother, his friend, his neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 men fell that day among the people. This number is very relevant because of the sin of the people of Israel, the law of God brought forth the death of 3,000. It says about 3,000 people that day. 
And the fact that they're of the, uh, they're all Levites, those are both Moses' relatives, and because of this instance, they also become the people that are the tribe of the priests of Israel. Then after this occurs, Moses is brokenhearted for the people. I think this is such an important message that we see here in verses 30 through 32 of, again, of uh, Exodus chapter 32. And it says, The following day Moses said to the people, You have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. Moses has a broken heart for his people. He is going to do whatever he can to save the people from the wrath of a holy God. Because you see, we as people, once we fall into sin, we cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. It works in a sense as like, uh, as, as first John illustrates, like if we had a spot that was completely dark, that there was no light in it, and then we shine light into that, then the darkness goes away. And we in our sin become like dark and God is like complete light as described in 1 John chapter 1. And so we in our sinful nature could not exist in His presence. So Moses goes to appeal to God for the sake of the people. And this says this powerful statement in verse 31. It says, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sins, but if not, please erase me from the book that you have written. Moses is saying this, take my life and spare them. Powerfully pointing forward to exactly what the Messiah is going to do for us over, it's, a, it's about 1500 or so years later. And if we continue actually through history and we see what happened here and then God of course spares the people and He brings them into the promised land although all of the first generation died off in the desert and it was only their descendants then that made it into the promised land and they again struggled in their relationship with the Lord and struggled in keeping the Torah. And so God sent a Messiah, a Savior for all of us, for the world. And his name is Jesus, as we all know. And then Jesus comes and, and he dies for our sins and he raises again from the dead. And then he comes and he walks with his disciples. And so we're going to look in the book of Acts and I want us to look at what was happening just before and then continuing to happen during this same holiday that we're coming up on Sunday, this Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the people asked Jesus, in verse 6 it says, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, are You restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the Lord had instructed the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. And they waited in Jerusalem until this holiday that we have here on Sunday. And it says this in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven as it filled the whole house when they, where they were staying. And keep in mind, on this same date, 
At the time of Moses, when he went up to Sinai, the people heard this great loud noise, this horn, the shofar blow. And this is similar to seemingly to what's described here. And it says, And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit had gave them the ability to speak. Then... There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So you have to understand, because this is one of the three feasts that the Jewish people were all instructed to come to Jerusalem towards, that they would have come from all over the known world because the Jewish people were spread throughout the world when they were captive by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and many of them never returned. So they lived you know, throughout the Mediterranean and throughout many different parts of the world at this point and would have spoke different languages. And it goes on and says, When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't those who are here speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears it in our own native language? It's like if my native language was Hebrew and one of your native languages was French and someone else's native language was German and we all heard it in our own language. How would that even be possible? But fascinating that according to the Jewish tradition, when Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai, that everyone heard it being spoken in all the different languages of the world. Very similar to what we see happening here at Pentecost. In verse 14, after this occurs, Peter stands up and he starts to give a speech and said, But Peter stood with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words when they're wondering, what is going on here? What is this that's happening? And he quotes from the Hebrew Scriptures and explains to them that these things were prophesied by the prophets of old, by Joel in this instance, and also by David later. But in verse 22 he goes and says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was no, it was not possible for him to be held by it. Isn't that a fascinating statement? And what an encouraging statement for us. This is the day that it was proclaimed publicly that Jesus overcame death. And He overcame death, it says that death could not possibly hold Him. And so either His character and nature and being God Himself, of course God is eternal and He can't die, or possibly even the fact that He never sinned and sin brings forth death. But whatever the instance was, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised Him from the dead so that we too can see that we can overcome death by following Him. 
And it goes on as he's, as he continues to speak in verse 32. It said, God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. People literally saw Jesus raised from the dead. Hundreds of people saw this and were willing to die saying that they saw this happen. It was something that was attested by people. You see, something that's so important to understand is people could possibly die for a lie, but they could not die for something willingly that they didn't believe. So these people saw Jesus die. They saw Him raised from the dead and they walked with Him and they were willing to die making this proclamation. What a powerful, powerful witness we have of our faith. It goes on in verse 33 and says, Therefore, since He has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promises of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, forgiveness through the Messiah. Sorry, I just read a title. Verse 37, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said, and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God wills to call. Remember, the covenant that the people of Israel made with God was for them and their children. And this promise of eternal life is for us and our children, all who will receive the message of Jesus. And it says in verse 40, And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized on that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. The same number. If you remember, it's the exact same number of people that had to be stricken down when they were worshiping the golden calf on the same calendar day according to Jewish tradition. And so what we have here is we have the law that brought death because of our inability to keep it. The law in itself was good. It's humanity that's bad. But then on that same calendar day, we have this availability to be forgiven of all of our sins and then to enter into the promise of eternal life through Jesus' resurrection, forgiven by His death. And it's the same number of people that enter into eternal life because of the Spirit of God or the same number of people that were had to die because of the law and our transgression of it on the same date. Verse 42 goes on and says, and they were, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. The people united. They became one. They became a body. Really, a family. Because we're all family under Jesus. We're His children. We become brothers and sisters to one another. And this is a similar type of relationship and a similar understanding to what happened to the people of Israel as they were bonded under this covenant. We become bonded under the death and resurrection of our Lord when we accept these things and we believe them with all of our heart. There's another part to the feast that's illustrated 
in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. It's the very last part to the feast. And it's this fascinating statement that when we look at it prophetically, I think helps us understand what was being illustrated because as a result of what happened on Pentecost, then the world has the ability to enter into a covenant with God. In verse 22 of Leviticus 23, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edges of the field or to gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them to the poor and to the foreign resident. I am Jehovah your God. And so there's this statement that everything that's on the outsides is for everybody, even the people that aren't of Israel. It seems to be indicating in a powerful way that through what God was going to fulfill on this day that then salvation could enter into all of the nations. You see, we read the book of Ruth during this time. And Ruth is a story of a young Gentile, non-Jewish lady who marries a Jewish man and her mother-in-law has her husband die and then all, and then her both her male children dies and so she has two female children her name is Naomi two female uh, daughter-in-laws and she she tells them go back to your father's homes i can't provide for you and in Ruth chapter 1 verse 8 it says so she said to them each of you go back to your mother's home may the lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me and then in Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, it says again, they wept loudly and Orpah, that's one of her daughter's daughter-in-laws, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to, to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or to go back and not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go, and where and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates me from you. You see, Gentile Ruth is clinging to Jewish Naomi, and she's accepting her God. And then as the story goes on in, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. And he was a prominent man of noble character from the uh, Elamech's family. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields to gather the fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. And so Naomi, go, or Ruth, uh, Naomi allows Ruth to go and goes to Boaz's home. He lives in the, the nation of Israel and in a, in, he's a, he is a, a, a person of Israeli ancestry living there and he's the Lord of the land. He controls the land. And in verse 8 of chapter 2 it says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my, my daughter, as she was going, and she was gleaning from the outskirts of his field. And he says, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servant. See that the fields they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? 
When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She bowed her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to, to notice me, although I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and your land of your birth and how you came to a people you don't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So all of a sudden this opportunity opens up to this Gentile to enter into the promises that God has offered through him, through his character, his nature, and in a similar fashion to what was expressed at the end of Shavuot from the gleaning of the outskirts of the field from the excess of the harvest. Remember, when the woman came, the Gentile woman came and asked Jesus to heal his daughter, and he said that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she responded, even the dogs received the crumbs from the master's table. It's a very similar language that the excess then should be given to the Gentiles. And so what we have is the Jewish people continued to reject this message, this promise, this hope of eternal life, this hope of forgiveness of sins through the Messiah Jesus, then this, uh, then that allowed and even strengthened the push for then it, for it to spread throughout all of the nations, for the people beyond Israel. In Acts chapter 10 verses 44 through 48, it states, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the non-Jews, the Gentiles also. And they heard them speaking in other tongues, declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. So this message, this, this hope then spreads and the church develops because of what occurred on the same calendar day that we're coming up on Sunday, where the Spirit of God comes upon us, where we become united to the church, we become united to Jesus, the same Spirit that rose Him from the dead comes and it can dwell in us if we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. This all occurs on this Sunday. What a wonderful day to praise God. And the message then goes beyond the people of Israel and spreads throughout all of the world where we all have this amazing opportunity and this promise that He's given us. And not just simply a promise based on word, but a promise based on word and truth and evidence. Because the people saw Jesus raised from the dead. You know, I've been asked before, why Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why don't you believe in other things. Why not Buddha? Why not Mohammed? Why not other teachings? Well, the reality is those people are in their graves. But Jesus has shown us that He can overcome death. And if our problem is sin which leads to death and we want to know what the solution is, He has proven to us physically that He can overcome. And so it makes sense for us to give our lives to Him and what a blessing when we unite under these promises. 
But as we thank God for this day and we praise the Lord for the establishment of the church and what He offered all of us by the gift of His Holy Spirit, let's not forget the people of Israel. The people that God had given these promises to. You see, uh, as, as you guys, many of you know, uh, you know my name being Trevor Rubenstein, I'm, if you didn't notice by my name or my appearance, I am of a Jewish descent and by the grace of God have come to believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But most of the, my brothers and sisters who I love dearly have not come to that conclusion. And so our organization, Chosen People Ministries, what we do is we reach out to the Jewish people, to the Jewish community with saving faith in Jesus because there is no other way to eternal life other than through Him. And so what type of people would we be if we didn't share with our loved ones this wonderful message? How, how, how much would it not be showing love if we have a way to eternal life and we refuse to share it with people who need which everyone who doesn't have Jesus does. So, let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank You and we praise You, God, for this day. We thank You for the day of Pentecost, God. The Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, the, the day that You had prophesied, even in the Hebrew Scriptures that You set forth, that would both show two things, Lord. The coming of the law, the covenant that we could not keep, but yet then this greater promise, the promise of forgiveness of sin and eternal life that we can all enter into. And so God, we praise You and we thank You, Lord. God, I pray for anyone who hears this message who doesn't know You. Lord, just to possibly see the depth of the Scriptures, it's not just a simple story that's made up on one day, but that's thousands of years of things that all pointed forward to one event of what Your Son was to do. So God, we ask that You touch their hearts, Father, and that You bring them into a place to where they're willing to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And God, we do pray for the people of Israel, Lord. Father, for Your chosen people, God, Father, we pray for their hearts, their minds, and their souls, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself to them in powerful ways. We love you, and we praise you in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen.